welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. series on identity this morning, and we've been looking at things that hinder us knowing who we really are. Week number one, we looked at identity theft and the four things that uh, rob us of our identity. Things such as relationships can rob us of our identity. Appearances and success and the past can all rob us of our identity. Last week, we looked at identity crisis. We looked at the things that we are not in order to know who we really are. Sometimes the best place to start is by knowing what you are not. And we listed off a number of things last week that you are not where you live. You are not what you do. You are not what you wear. You are not what people say. And I wanted to say I do appreciate all the feedback that I received from you over the last week. That's been fantastic. And I trust and pray that you'll put the Word of God into practice. That's where the power is. The power's not in the hearing, the power's in the applying. There's no knowledge in power alone. There's only uh, power in applied knowledge, not just knowledge. So you've got to put into practice what you are learning over this particular series. And I believe that you will walk out of or walk through what you are going through and you'll be better through the walk and you'll come out better on the other side. Amen? Excellent. I want to quickly read a scripture, which I don't have on the screen. It's found in John chapter 13, and it says in verse 1, it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that his time had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. This is amazing. He showed them the full extent of his love. You think, okay, he's going to do a great miracle. This is what he does to show them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, and that he knew where he came from God, and that he was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off the outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet too? The the full extent of Jesus' love was seen in the way he served people. It wasn't in the miracles. It wasn't in the wonders. It wasn't in the signs. It was in the way he served humanity. Church, you've got to catch that. People say, oh, there should be more miracles. If there was more miracles, we would see a greater revival. No, we wouldn't. If there was a miracle of servant service, if we could see a revival of service, if we could see people just willing to serve others, I tell you, Jesus Christ could come back tomorrow. The full extent of our love is seen in serving. And so I just want to say again, if you are not a volunteer in this church and helping some way make this church what she needs to become, please go to one of our stations at the back of the auditorium straight after this service and register your interest because we have need as a church. And that's good. Need is a good thing. And so Jesus shows the full extent of his love by serving people. The reason he could do such menial tasks is because he was secure in who he was. He knew who he was. Many times Jesus said, I am the son of God. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Jesus had no problem knowing who he was. And as a result, it gave security to do the most mundane tasks. He didn't have to do all the big stuff to be seen by men and to receive the approval of men. He didn't care what people think. He didn't care what people thought of him because he knew who 
he wants. In verse 3, it says that he knew he came from God and he knew he was going to God. In other words, he knew his origin and therefore he knew his destiny. And that's what this series is all about, us finding out where we are from, who we are, so that we will know what to do. It's about connecting people to God, to his church, and to their purpose. If you don't know where you come from, if you don't know who you are, you'll never know what you've been called to do. People say, you know what, you've got to have a vision. Not necessarily. A vision alone won't help you. Your vision has to be in line with who you are. It has to be in line with your bent. It has to be in line with your calling. It has to be in line with your strengths. It has to be in line with your gifting. I can have a vision to be a great singer. Guess what? It ain't going to happen. In actual fact, if there was a few more honest mums and dads out there, they could put the whole of Australia out of their misery and stop tormenting us with a thing called Australian Idol. Because they have a vision, they have a dream that I'm going to be the next star. I'm going to be the next idol. I'm going to be the next latest and greatest. But actually, you know what? You don't have a gift of being able to sing. And that's not bad because not every one of us can sing. In actual fact, if I could sing, maybe I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. Who knows? If I could really sing really well, maybe I would be in Las Vegas today, making a truckload of money, doing Elvis impersonations. Thank you very much. Far from my calling, far from my gift, far from my destiny. Who knows? But the Bible does say, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world? If you get all the accolades of man, if you become the best Elvis impersonator, but you lose who you are. This series is about us finding out who we really are. Jesus knew his origin. He knew where he came from. He came from God and he was going to God and it bred security, which is a far cry from secular society, which says we have no origin, therefore we just merely exist. If you believe in evolution, there is no origin. We just, we were as an accident. And it, it, it flies in the face of the tenor of scripture that says there is a creator. In actual fact, one of the things that we're going to have at the bloke is, is, is beer. And even the most drunk of all alcoholics knows that beer didn't just happen. That someone had to create beer. Someone had to make beer. It didn't just evolve. Can you imagine going to the bartender and saying, buddy, give us a beer, mate. And he says, that's fine. Puts a glass up there and says, just wait around a few million years and we'll just see what happens. Even the drunk guy would say, oh, come on, mate, pull the other one. Wouldn't he? Even if you're drunk, say, that's a load of rubbish. Give me a beer now. Because beer didn't just evolve. Beer didn't just happen. Now, if that's true for beer, how much more human beings who are far more complex and far more complicated? I mean, beer, a beer can't use a laptop computer. Beer and Glenn cannot use a laptop computer. But you see what I'm saying? To say we just evolved and that we have no origin kind of sets the rest of humanity and the rest of the world and the rest of existence up for a massive fall. But to know that we came from God and that we are going to God. And in order to have order in our lives, we can follow God's decrees. Makes sense. We're not an accident. We're not a mistake. We're not a lump of jelly. 
And so today, in order to find out who we are, I want to look at a subject in and around the matter of being chosen. Everyone say chosen. I believe this subject matter is essential to us understanding who we really are. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I want to read from verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, please look up on the screen. It says, Paul, an apostle. I love that. This is who I am, Paul. This is what I do. I'm an apostle. He doesn't confuse who he is by what he does. He doesn't say, Apostle Paul here. That's to confuse what he does with who he is. He says, Paul, this is who I am, and this is what I do. I am an apostle of Christ by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He loved us, sorry, in his love, sorry, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which is freely given us in the ones he loves. I want to talk about the subject of being chosen, but before I get into that, I need to say that I recognize many of you do not have a good experience when it comes to being chosen. Many of us have walked through divorce or seeing our parents divorce. And being chosen by one parent and not the other can give us a bad taste in the mouth about what chosen really is. Some of you are adopted and you feel like you're abandoned by your parents. And so to even the the very nature of the subject of being chosen can cause you to get on the back foot and get resistant in your heart. But I want you to hear me out. There are others who struggle to appreciate being chosen because they grew up with an unbiblical understanding of being chosen. Cast your mind back to your school days where you all stood in line against a wall as two people proceeded to pick the people they wanted in their team. I'll have him. The other captain says, I'll have that guy. Now that was great if you were the first two picked. Or even the second or third or fourth or fifth. But for those that weren't overly sporty, you knew what was coming. You knew there was a whole heap of rejection coming your way. You knew there was a wave of rejection that you would have to deal with in that moment. In actual fact, some of you never got picked. Some of it was just like left against the wall and thought, uh, just what, split them up, whatever. <laughs> you didn't even get chosen. You just got divvied up. Because everyone realized, okay, none of you can play. You all know you're all as bad as each other. So just, you know, pfft. how many know what I'm on about? And so the notion of being chosen, as exciting as it is for me, maybe not be an exciting subject for you. And it would be a miss of me just to carry on, get really excited about a subject that brings you a lot of hurt and pain. But here's the thing, we have to renew our mind. Because we've had a bad experience around a particular word, we've got to learn God's heart on those words. If I talk about money, there are some people just get their back up. If I talk about the father heart of God, some people get their back up because they hate their father. And so I need to be sensitive for those who just struggle with this issue 
of being chosen. So for those of you who don't, and those of you who were picked first or second, and you're like, yeah, that's awesome, go with it. Well, let's just be sensitive to those who were kind of standing against the back wall and got divvied up. Any amens out there by the divvied up crew? All these experiences can enforce that we are useless, rejected, and unwanted. And for many of us, we tend to avoid competition as a result because we hate the thought of being rejection, uh, rejected. And so we don't ever put ourselves out there again, not in the workplace, not for promotion, not for opportunities that come our way. And so we never live and become our true self because of our past and the rejection that was experienced through this thing of not being chosen. The result is we struggle to appreciate God's word as we should. We fail to grasp the magnitude and the truth of God's word. You see, being chosen by God doesn't benefit us if we don't understand it. And so in the short time I have with you this morning, I want to just look at a few points in and around this subject of being chosen. And I want you to grasp with the Holy Spirit's help this morning the weight and the magnitude of what being chosen really means for you. And so Holy Spirit, I ask you to help me minister clearly your word this morning to bring enlightenment to the truth that I so desire to share in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing you need to understand about chosen is this. Number one, you. Everyone say you. You means me. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about the person sitting in your chair. You were chosen. You were chosen. See, we often believe, you know, it's easy to believe that someone else was chosen, but I'm here to tell you that you, specifically, that person in the mirror, were chosen. In Matthew 22, verse 14, it says, Many are invited or many are called, but few are chosen. Among the six billion people on the planet, God chose you. He singled you out. You are one of the few. And that makes you different. That makes you special. That makes you unique. That means that you're not random. That means that you're not a mistake. I don't care how you were born or how you came into this world. I don't care if you were not planned by your mother or father. I want to tell you God had a plan for your life. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are not random. You are here by divine calling and divine purpose. And I want you to catch that today and shake off the lies that have come your way. And it may not be a lie that mum and dad didn't plan you. You may not have been planned in their thinking, but you know what? You were planned in God's thinking. And so sometimes you've got to reject truth for greater truth. It's not about just rejecting a lie. You've got to learn to reject truth for greater truth. So when your mum and dad says, but we didn't plan you, they could be telling the truth. But I want to tell you there's a greater truth. And God says, I planned you. God planned this moment for Jess Nix. I'm not saying God brought sickness on Elise. I'm telling you, God created a moment and God is not surprised in heaven. God is not going, oh my goodness, what's Victory Church going to do now that Elise is pooing and spewing? Oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. Help! He goes, this is Jess Nick's time. It's not only her time, it's her turn. This is what I put on the face of the planet for, to lift God's people in singing and praise and worship. This is not a mistake. This is not an accident. This is not random. This is by divine purpose and calling in God. It seems random to us. 
Because we only see but in a mirror dimly. But God sees the beginning from the end. And so it's not a surprise to him. You are chosen. You are part of God's plan. You all have certain gifts certain callings, certain leanings. The Bible says that as parents, we should train the child in the way that they ought to go. And that's a a picture of a hunter who would look at a tree and and look for a particular branch that had a certain bend in it, a certain leaning of which he would break off and make it for a bow. He wouldn't pick the straight one. He wouldn't pick the thick one or the fat one because that wouldn't bend. He would pick just the right one for just the right job. And every one of us in this room, by God's divine purpose and by God's divine calling, it has a certain lean, has a certain bent. You like certain things. And that's good. My job as a parent to our three kids is to to find their God-given shape. And we're going to look at that in the weeks to come in this series, Identity. But before we can get there, we've got to find out who we are. And so as we've sought to bless and, 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 and love on our kids, and I want to tell you, parenting is one of the greatest privileges God ever gave me. To be able to look after three little people that are not mine, I don't own them, and there's one day they'll get married and be out of our house, but maybe not out of our hair. That's what I'm hearing. If the kids, you don't get rid of your kids, apparently. They just hang around, and that's cool. I'm all for that. But our job is to find out what are they like? What, what comes natural to them? What comes natural to them? And being able to see these young people just develop and grow and, and, and their skills just emerge. I look at our 12-year-old daughter, Jordan. I mean, she's just so creative. And she loves cooking, which is all part of that creativity, hands-on. And, you know, so I look at Jordan's life and I imagine her future is going to be somewhere in the realm of cooking or, or hairdressing or graphic design. There'll be some sort of creative element to what she does. It's not a tight, narrow uh, path, but it's it's, it's in the vicinity of. Does that make sense? And there are others that are great at crunching numbers. (laughs) That was not me. And and we need need accountants. We need people who are wired that way. And I want to say, stop tolerating people. Celebrate one another. Stop tolerating the difference. Celebrate the difference. We need difference because there's many jobs to be done here on planet Earth. And so there are some that love cars. I can't stand cars. The thought of getting my hands greasy is just nauseating to me. It's just like, it's just like cars. And there's others who absolutely love it, for which I'm grateful. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be here this morning. I have to walk everywhere. So I'm grateful that it's just not me. I'm just smart enough to know that Holden's a better forward. That's it. That's, that's it. And so we've got to find that natural leaning. What we don't want to do is find their natural leaning and say, no, no, you're not going to do it, and try and straighten them up. Just try and, I'll straighten you out. Stop trying to straighten your kids out. And, and, and make a creative person a lawyer. You will. And they go around like life like this. They, 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 they pass their test, they get the job as a lawyer, but they're stiff and starchy and they're not enjoying themselves. Because we made them do some things. Because that brings prestige and importance and gives us self-worth if our daughter or our son is a lawyer or a doctor or a this or a that. But can we be secure enough to say, you know what? I recognize something in my daughter. I recognize something in my son. 
and I released them before year 12 was up because I saw something on their life and an opportunity for a job came to do what they were called to do and I'm secure enough just to not worry about what people think of me as a parent. I'm just going to let them go into that area. Can we please have that? That's what this series is about. No, you've got to do year 12 and you've got to do tertiary education. You've got to do this and you've got to do that. Why? If you need to, fantastic. But that can't be true for all of us. The whole world can't be lawyers. We can't all be accountants. We can't all be doctors. And if we could just be secure enough like Jesus, who knew where he was from and knew where he was going, we could actually have servants, people who actually just serve. And you may not earn as much money, but you know what? You, you, you'll have this joy. You'll have this little thing called job satisfaction, which I don't see a lot of, to be honest. I see a lot of people with a truckload of money, with a massive mortgage, and they're miserable. It's killing them. But seeing someone in their sweet spot, just doing what they love doing. I've been employed for 27 years, and I've only ever had job satisfaction. Have my bad days? We all do. But that... that the, the pattern of my working experience is one of just job satisfaction, doing what I love doing. I, I wish that and pray that for every one of you. You can't put a price on that. Job satisfaction. Coming home, just like, it's awesome. When I was sign writing, I used to do so many signs for so many companies, and my fingerprint was all over the city. And at nauseam, to the point of my friends just, being really ticked off with me. I'd be driving down, so I did that, I did that, I did that, I did that. See that? I did that. Me and Dad, we made that. Go down the brewery. You know the brewery at Christmas time? People say, oh, that's horse. I said, I made that. Help Dad make that. We made that. We made that. That big horse, we made that. The little mouse running up the stairs, we made that. Snowman, we made that. Come on, you've got to want that, Surely. Farther and better than I've got a truckload of money, but I hate what I'm doing. It's got to be something more. Oh, I hope this, I hope, I hope, I hope this series sets us free to be who God has called us to be. You were chosen for reason. You were chosen for purpose. This is your time. This is your turn. Make it count. Make it count. If you have to reassess what you've bought, if you have to reassess what you're doing, if you have to change your job, if you have to sell your home as a result of this series becoming a reality in your life, do it. Are you saying, surely you're not saying I should actually sell my home? Yes, I am for some of you. Are you saying I should change my job and change my career this late in my life? Yes. Better late than never. Why not? If you've been miserable for 20 years, why be miserable doing what you're doing for another 20? Why not just, just start afresh? Why not? At age 25, I was asked to start a church. I thought my course was set. I was loving doing what I was doing. But there's something else going on in me at the time. And a pastor said, you ever thought about starting your own church? And you know what? I hadn't. But at that moment, it was like a God moment. I said, that's it. I didn't pray about it. I just knew that was the answer to prayers. See, there's a time to pray, church, and there's a time to act. For some of you, I want you to act. I want you to grab a hold of this series and stop praying, stop thinking about it. Just act. Do something. You want to hear God? I'm telling you. You know, if we was in the shower and, 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 and saying, God, say something. I, I think God's word to us, if God's finger could come down and write in the smoke, you know, on the, you know what you do when you're just eh, in bored in the shower, you just write words. You know that? Eh, 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 eh. 
Has anyone ever done that with the steam on the... I do have army showers on, I just vomit them out. I love the shower. I stay in the shower all day. I love it. Just, oh, this is great. Some of my best work happens in the showers. But I reckon if God could actually come down and write with his finger on the shower, it would be... Do something. I do. I think God's saying to some Christians, stop praying. You're weirding me out. I think God's saying, what are they doing? I'm convinced it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What are they doing? I don't know what they're doing. And I do believe in praying. But I also believe in doing. I believe in both. Secondly, you were chosen by God. Not only were you chosen, but you were chosen by God. The significance of being chosen is dependent upon the one doing the choosing. In other words, nothing, there is nothing special about being chosen unless the one who chooses you is special. You still don't know what I mean by that, do you? Let me say it this way. I come running up and say, hey, guess what, mum, dad. Uh, so I uh, tell all my friends, man, it's awesome. I got picked to play for the crows. I would never say port because I can't imagine any kid wanting to play for port. But anyway. <laughs> hey guys, guess what? I got picked to play for the crazy. Yeah, really? How, who, who picked you? Oh, my mum and dad. Ah, <laughs> oh, really? Well done, you. <laughs> awesome. No weight in the choosing, the weight comes in the chooser. Second scenario. Hey guys, guess what? Neil Craig has chosen me to play for the Crows. Wait. And all of a sudden, because Neil Craig has said, it doesn't matter what everyone else thinks of you. It doesn't matter if they don't think you're good enough. It doesn't matter. Neil Craig has said. That brings some weight. We've been chosen by God, not Neil Craig. God Almighty chose me. God Almighty chose you. That should settle every argument right there, right then. You can have 10 people say, you're useless, you're this. Oh, it doesn't matter what you say. God chose me. Oh, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. Some of you are going to take this truth and ignore it. So sad. God Almighty who was around before time as we know it began, looked into the future of which he was already there and chose us, called us, equipped us, gave us gifts and talents. That's where the confidence got to come from. See, it's not about us. We don't get big-headed because it's not about us. It's about God. It's the fact that he chose us. That's what gives us the confidence. People misunderstand my confidence saying, oh, he's being big-headed. No, I just understand something about the truth of God's word. He has created me. He has called me. He has chosen me, which equals I am awesome. Not being big-headed. I'm just being truthful. Every one of us should live with our heads held high. We should get off this false humility trip. I'm nothing. I'm useless. What a load of rubbish. We grew up with a little saying, I'm a king's kid. 
And we sang it in Sunday school, but I, I believed it. Chosen by God. It's the chooser that makes the choosing have any weight or significance. And what higher authority than being chosen by God himself? It's not about you. It's about the one doing the choosing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is a calling that the world might not recognize, but heaven does and hell does. The devil's aware of your calling. The devil's aware of your chosenness and so is all the angels in heaven. We are a called and chosen people by God. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You know, I never want to turn this into a bless me or help me club. Focusing on your problems and getting everyone talking about your problems and then prophesying over you about your problems and then praying for you about your problems and, and then re-praying for you and you pray for me and I'll pray for you and, and you can pray for my problems and I'll pray for your problems and then we pray for my problems and we pray for your problems and you pray for my problems and we pray for What a load of rubbish. I will never turn the church into that. The Bible says that there is one mediator between God and man and that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he says because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we have access into the throne room of grace and so we can approach the Father on, in, in heaven with great confidence. And we can go to God and say, Father, I messed up today and I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that I've grieved you, but I thank God for the blood of Jesus. And because of the blood of Jesus, I'm forgiven, I'm accepted, I'm called and I'm chosen and I'm gonna make a better day of it tomorrow. That's it. Let's move on. Stop dwelling on your problems. But God, you've got to love God's but. Come on. But God. I'm useless. I'm this, I'm that. Yeah, but God. God changes it. That's the message of hope. That's the message of faith. That's the message of truth. That's the message of love we have. And if we don't exude it, if we don't live it, we're not going to fool people. The reason people are staying away from church in their droves is because of us. We're not living in it. We're not emanating. We're not radiating the truth of God's word. There should be something about us that is different. People should say, man, there's something different about you. And they'll be right. I'm one of the chosen. I'm one of the called. I'm one of the redeemed. I'm one of those God handpicked people. Let me tell you about it. So it should be, no matter where you go. We don't just come into church on Sunday and, and act like Christians and then just act like the world for the rest of the week. No, we are different as a result of coming together. We're different as a result of reading our Bibles. We are different as a result of our praying. And we do business and we do life and we do marriage and we do parenting and we do everything that we do different than the world because we have a hope inside of us, the hope of glory. That's what this is all about. And so you were chosen by God. Thirdly, you were chosen before you were born. I love this. I love this. This is going to mess with your head. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, so that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. 
what should we say in response to this? Shucks. Is that what it says? What should we say in response to this? Can you pray for me? I've got a headache. What should we say in response to this? It's raining. It's too hot. What should we say in response to this? I've got an ingrown toenail. <laughs> what should we say in response to this? Oh, I like that. Oh. <laughs> I'm kind of known as a milkman. If I'm on a roll, I'm going to go with it. Oh. Oh. Everyone go, oh. <laughs> I do it better than all of you. Oh. oh, gee, thanks, Glenn. Oh. Oh, wish I was married. Oh, wish I wasn't married. Oh, wish I had kids. Oh, wish I didn't have kids. I've heard all of them. And it's not what I read in the Bible. All those things that I hear is not what the Bible says. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who the flipping it can be against us? Live in that. Live in that. Live in that. See, existence precedes conception. You existed before you existed. God knew you before anyone else knew you. In Psalm 139 verse 16, it says, your eyes saw my unformed body. Oh, I find that hard to believe. Yes, that's what makes him God. People are are trying to work out God. If you can work out God, he's not that good. I don't want a God I know everything about. If if, if If little old me can work God out, he's not that good. Imagine if I could work everything there is to know about God. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. And so if I can work, if I can work God out, he's, he's, he's got to be bigger. There's got to be elements of mystery. There's got to be elements of wonder. There's got to be elements we just don't understand. That's what makes him God. How, how can you raise from the dead? I don't know. That's what makes him God. No one else has done it, but that's what makes God God. All these other religions and all these other founders of great movements, dead, buried, did not rise again. Only Jesus rose again. That's what makes him God. I can't explain it. You've got to believe it. There comes a point eventually where you've just got to believe. You've got to believe. You can't explain everything away. It's a mystery. Where does free will fit into predestination? Did God give us free will or is it just, are we just random acts of whatever? I believe that God gave man free will. And he chose us before the beginning of time because he knew we would choose him. Because he doesn't see our first day, he sees our last day. It's an amazing concept that before I was born, he chose me. Because he looked in the future and saw me doing life and saw me falling in love with him and saw me choosing him and so he chose me. Sovereignty, free will of man, together. Free will of man, sovereignty of God, working hand in hand. 
See, what we've got to do is stop reducing God to man's limitations. See, we try and bring God down to our understanding instead of us getting up to his. The Bible says, magnify the Lord. It doesn't say reduce the Lord. Reduce the Lord down to the smallness of your thinking. That's not what the Bible says. It says magnify him in your thinking. I know as a leader... My role is to get you to think bigger. On my team, it's to get them to think bigger. I don't want to be reduced to the smallness of, 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 of someone's thinking. I need to get bigger. And I need you to start catching what I'm saying here today. We can't afford to just come down. We've got to go up. And so don't be reduced or don't reduce God to your limitations. He's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent, which means he's all-present. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. When Moses has an encounter with God, and he says, who shall I say sent me? God says, uh, just say, I am. You are what? I'm everything. I'm everything. That's the God who chose us. And he chose us before we were born. If we catch this, it will lead to us chilling out. See, there's this crowd in church circles that are the tightrope crowd, trying to do everything to please God. And they're a pain in the neck. If you catch this truth, you might just chill out a little bit. Trying to please God based on what you do. If you get this truth that he chose you before you were born, it means he chose you before you performed. If you make it all about your talent and what you do, he chose you before you had any talent. He chose you before you did any good or before you did any bad. So you didn't press him by your good things because he chose you before that. Before you did anything good, so, if you, so some of you are thinking, oh, I'm so good, I see why God loves me because I'm awesome. He said, no, he chose you before that. And some of you are feeling really bad about yourself because you did something wrong, you kicked the cat, which I keep telling you, you'll be rewarded in heaven for that. It's okay. <laughs> if you run over the cat, you get closer to Jesus. It's all right. It's okay. Belinda Faye, I love you, and all the other cat lovers out there, you're awesome. It's just cats I struggle with. It's okay. You're awesome. I know I've created a monster because we had a cat run across us, and I, I've hit the brakes. And, and Midgey goes, what did you hit the brakes for? You should have run him over. I said, oh. <laughs> but God chose me anyway. Amazing. Isn't it amazing. Before the time began, God knew that day would happen. There's a chuckle. Imagine God in heaven going, this is that day when Mitchell says that thing. This is cool. I love this bit. <laughs> Have you ever had your favorite film and you re-watch re it? And you say, oh, I love this bit. You know what's coming? That's God. I love this bit. This is where Mitchell is so funny. This is where Tony gets some of his own medicine from all the things he preaches. And now he's going to bite him bad with his son. This is great. Because God's seen that moment. And I reckon he's replayed that a few times in his mind because it's funny. Because he's not this grumpy old man with a big white beard and just... Uh, that's not God. I mean, grey beard, stick, playing a heart. It's not a picture of omnipotence. All powerful, all knowing, all present God. Sorry, what? Can't hear. Oh, I can't hear. What? People think, oh, it's sacrilege talking about God like that. I'm not talking about God like that. I'm talking about the image you have of God. That's different. I don't think of God like that at all. 
I'm just mocking the image people have created in their mind of what God is. My God is magnificent. He's awesome. He's omnipotent. He's, he's all those O words. He's awesome. And I'm not talking about Oprah. Some of you just woke up, oh, yeah, I like Oprah too. No, I'm not talking about Oprah. You were chosen. Can we have the band come? You were chosen. In our prayer meeting this week, I was talking with Peter, just about Abraham, the father of our faith, might I add. This is the life of the father of our faith. God says, I want you to go, but don't go to Egypt. He goes to Egypt. I don't want you to take any of your family with you. He takes Lot, father of our faith. Because he's in the wrong place with the wrong people, he gets himself into trouble. Now he prostitutes his wife. He becomes a pimp for his wife, not once, twice. No money exchange. No, he prostituted her for protection of his own life. If you say you're my sister, they won't kill me. Father of our faith. Wow. Wow. Receives this promise that through Sarah, your wife, you're going to give birth to an heir. Abraham goes and sleeps with another woman and gives birth to Ishmael, which is creating problems in the world today. And yet Romans chapter 4 says that the faith that Abraham received was credited to him as righteousness because he believed God. Didn't say because he was perfect. Didn't say because he performed really well. Because he tried really hard and he was a really, really good boy. Because God saw his intentions. It says because he loved God. It says because he believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Prior to Jesus. Enter Jesus. How much more? You and I, this side of the cross, can hold our head high as we surrender to Jesus. You are a chosen people. My fourth point, which I don't have time for, was this. You are all chosen first. God lined us all up at the beginning of the ages and said, uh, I'll have the whole lot of you. <laughs> awesome. It's not, like, it's not like our worldly choosing. You will have you, I'll have you, I'll have you. You're a great preacher, I'll have you. And we'll leave to the last. Right down the dregs to the car park attendants. And those that clean the toilets. God looks at all of them, all the volunteers, all the servants, all the believers of Jesus, and says, I'll take the lot of you. Yep, you'll do. Because he looks into heaven and sees a broken heart, responds to the love, responds to the belief. Not the performance, not the talent, not the gift, not what you did with it, but just your heart. Will you please stand with me? I want you to weigh up the magnitude of what I'm saying here this morning. I know it's hard to grasp, but that's why the Bible says we need to be a people of faith. This is not something you can think through. This is something you grab by faith. That there's a God who's bigger than you, who knows you better than you know yourself, who chose you and called you before you was even be- be- uh, born.
Before World War I, God was. Before Moses, God was. Before Adam, God was. Before time as we know it was, God was. Before the world was as we know it, God was. What did God do? I don't know. What did it look like? I don't know. I don't have to worry about what I don't know. I just got to respond to what I do know. And I know this, that God loves me. God called me. God chose me. I know He loves me because 2,000 years ago, the greatest sacrifice for humanity was made. It was when a man by the name of Jesus entered the world, not by natural cause, but by divine conception. He was from a different bloodline. He wasn't from the bloodline of man. He was from the bloodline of God. Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. It was God Himself that impregnated this woman, Mary, because she was obedient to God. And this boy was born into a world some 2,000 years ago, into the Middle Eastern culture, not an English-speaking world. Christianity is not a white man's religion. God gave His promise to the Middle East. This boy grew into a man. He lived on the planet for some 33 years. The last three years was his ministry years. And in those 33 and a half years, he never sinned. He never failed. He never fell short. Thus fulfilling the law. Tempted and tested in every way as you and I were, yet without sin. Went to the death as an obedient sacrifice. Not for himself, but for mankind. Not just for his generation, but for all generations to come. Trusted himself into the hands of the Father. He was crucified. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again, proving that he had dominion over death and hell once and for all. Thus, proving the statement true, you cannot keep a good man down. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.